Welcome to Trust the Motherfucking Band. It's a podcast. We love music. I hope you love it. Hello, I'm Colin Campbell, and this is the show for musicians and music fans who want to understand the mindsets, the methods, and the money behind world-class music. Today's guest is Genevieve Roy, and we talk about all sorts of cool things. She grew up in a musical family. She performs with this awesome orchestra called the Medici Orchestra, and she's doing all sorts of like classic pieces. We debate the advantages and disadvantages of AI as it pertains to arts and creativity and money making and where we think the world is kind of going in that regard. And we discuss the world of journalism and in the arts and music. I don't run ads for the show. If you would share it with your friends and family, that's all I ask. I hope you're having a tremendous day and take care for now. Geneviève Roy. There we go. You start it. Okay, Geneviève Roy. How nice to meet you, Colin. Good to meet you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yo, I am so excited to chat with you about your experience on both a music level, but also because you're a journalist of music and you're you do like you're in the music world so professionally that it's kind of your life. I've turned it into part of my life. Yeah, it's definitely. Something I consider more of a hobby, but <laughs> okay, it's something still? I do uh, work in quite uh, regularly. How did you get, what was your kind of progression? Like, how did you get into it? Ooh, well, I've been learning music since, since a young age. Yeah. Um, my mother is a piano teacher. Okay. She was a pianist, a classical pianist. So I got into the music world since I was born, basically in the belly. I was listening to classical music all the time. And uh, growing up, I was introduced to not just classical, but any form of music. A lot of uh, concerts, a lot of... Um, how could I say, piano lessons, violin lessons, uh, a bit of singing lessons. So my musical career started at a young age in a musical family. Uh, a lot of exposure to music, mostly classical, a lot of jazz, a lot of oldies and pop and vintage uh, songs. My dad, uh, an ex-hippie, so he really likes those uh, deep bands where you can vibe Pink Floyd. <laughs> so it's a nice mixture of everything. Here you have Vivaldi on one hand and you have a <laughs> Pink Floyd playing on the other <laughs> Right. Yep, yep, yep. Wow. So then when... <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, basically, I didn't do my studies um, in the education world in music. Okay. I studied with private uh, professors. I had a private violin teacher for several years. I had a few, in fact. Um, <clears throat> I did my university studies in marketing and cinematography and art history and East Asian studies. So I grabbed uh, cultural aspects from uh, Asia, mixed them a little bit with European art, <laughs> North American culture, and blended everything together. <laughs> so I had a, a very wide diaspora of uh, interests. Name those again. What were the so, education? Basically, I went in uh, CJEP. I was at Dawson in liberal arts. So liberal arts, they teach you philosophy, mathematics, ancient history, English, um, culture. But I took acting classes. <laughs> so you basically learn all the arts, <laughs> liberal arts, philosophy, um, ancient philosophy, modern philosophy, <laughs> uh, a lot of English classes. I come from a French background, so English was a challenge for me, <laughs> but uh, you cement it. Thank you, uh, Dr. Adamson, for <laughs> teaching me the joys of the English literature. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
when I went to uh, university, my first year in university, I decided to pursue my studies in art history and East Asian studies. I was at McGill. Art history and <clears throat> East Asian studies. That's okay. right. Specifically, I need to studying. slow to slow. I need to get. Uh, I feel like I need to get them. I need to get it in my head. You need to get it in your head. Yeah. So picture this. We were studying a okay. lot of Dutch artists. Okay. Dutch artists. Dutch. So Vermeer, okay. the techniques of light, European masters. <laughs> um, the inside of Dutch homes are very interesting, actually. There was a lot of curiosity as to what was happening. Painters at the time, they wanted to know what's taking place in people's homes. So there was a lot of pictures of interior um, a lot of interior of the home, bedroom scenes, kitchen scenes, <laughs> beautiful lighting scenes. <laughs> so, yeah, basically learned a lot about Dutch painters. Um, East Asian studies was to study about mainly Japan, China, Korea. Okay. And by that time, I was really intrigued. I wanted to go and visit Asia for myself. <laughs> Are so. you're uh, Japanese, part Japanese? I'm part Singaporean. So Singaporean. My mother is Singaporean Chinese. My okay. dad is uh, Quebecois with a touch of Irish from grandmother, nice. from my grandmother's side. And um, yeah, I, in my 20s, I really wanted to go to Asia. So I took a couple months, six months, and packed my bags, left for Asia. <laughs> Where? Uh, Japan, Singapore, wow. Thailand, wow. Hong Kong, yes. Taiwan, oh, <laughs> Tha <I'm> Thailand. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, I love East Asia. I've been only to Vietnam, but um, that is uh, Japan sounds so much fun. It so was much fun. so much fun. Where in Japan? Um, I had a small apartment that I rented. An apartment? Yeah, I rented Look an apartment. Look at you! Whoa! <laughs> yes, for three months. <laughs> yeah, it was wild. I'm <laughs> in Tokyo. Tokyo. And, um, <laughs> yeah it's expensive it was very expensive but it was nice yeah. so i had a tiny tiny room and i had a roommate who was from china okay and it was very interesting because she was working from the tiny apartment as a massage therapist oh so every time she had clients over That's she weird. told me i had to be very quiet yeah <laughs> it right. was very funny <laughs> therapeutic massage yeah. <laughs> so a lot of uh, celebrities oh excuse me sorry i just <laughs> yeah. have to use the restroom <laughs> <laughs> she's like massage someone yeah. was it <laughs> that small or was it as small as this it's or? a very very small apartment yeah yeah we we put a, a rice paper partition between my room and hers yeah so <laughs> the amount of privacy was rather minimal, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, it was interesting. I was right at the heart of, um, right next to Tokyo Tower. Okay. It was a very good area, uh, easy access to all the, the metro lines, and uh, really you're in the heart of where the city, where everything's happening. Wow. So for three months I was there. <laughs> I, I did do the touristy stuff. I bought some like Shinkansen train passes for twice, for two weeks, and I traveled all around Japan, Kyoto, Hiroshima, uh, Fukuoka, Niigata. I, I went to all different parts of Japan. Yeah. And you can see the differences in lifestyle and culture when really? you travel to different cities. <laughs> it's yeah. really nice. What did you learn? <clears throat> um, to, to have a deep respect for nature yeah. and uh, cleanliness, um, respect for the elders, I would say. In some cities, uh, the, they pay a lot of attention to their elders and the wisdom of the elders and also the pacing, slower pacing. In Tokyo, everything is happening fast, and it's time is money, and um, fast fashion, fast food, fast everything. But as you exit Tokyo, everything slows down, and you have a, a nice appreciation. If you go to a tea ceremony in Kyoto, you can spend two hours just sitting on tatami mats and 
looking at a beautiful cup of tea and admiring the pottery of the tea and the person who made the pottery and the, the whole process of uh, making the tea and admiring the cup and admiring the texture of the, of the cup with the tea in it with little sweets here and there. But the whole ceremony lasts two hours and you're just supposed to appreciate the moment and not think about anything else. Dude, I don't know so, if yeah. I would fit in. Like, it, it, I admit it was a difficult experience for me. I you were raised in yeah, Montreal. In Montreal. In Montreal. Okay, yeah. And North Americans, we, I think, we follow the fast-paced lifestyle. For and sure. Especially since we're in the city or in the suburbs, everything is done at a very fast speed. So I think for me in Japan, it was a, a moment where you can kind of not meditate, but take a moment to step back and. Just admire the beauty around you and enjoy the moment. Mm -hmm. That was what Japan was for me. When was that? Mm, I was 20, so that was 18 years ago. <laughs> oh my gosh, okay. time flies. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I recently, just before COVID, returned to Japan for a press tour. And I was surprised at how much the country has changed. Some ways I'd say for the better. Other ways I wouldn't say it's for the better. I think um, I'm noticing a lot more that uh, they're catching up with the rest of the world in terms of... Um, Thank you. Sure. Losing sense of um, enjoying the moment, oh, okay. making connections with people, and uh, everyone is so focused on their phones and on technology. Mm. When I when I went when I was twenty, I remember I can be in a train and I can look at people and we can just start a conversation. They would smile at you and ask you questions, and they were really um, eager to connect with foreigners. Now everyone's traveling with much much ease and everyone's addicted to their phones so when you enter any public transport everyone's head is bent down on the phone and they don't look at you they don't smile at you they're, especially in the cities <clears throat> and even if you go to outside of the city like to kyoto everyone's busy taking pictures on the phone they're they're no longer connecting or admiring what people are wearing or what people are saying it's mostly like oh let's take a picture let's take a picture let's take a picture so at some point um i had a feeling that it was a bit colder the experience was colder and yeah, technology is making it a little bit um, more difficult to connect with people. Mm -hmm. You're connected online, but you're not connected in person. Mm -hmm. And they even have restaurants where you don't order from waiters anymore. You just order from vending machines or you order directly on your phone. You don't even need to speak to anybody. Mm -hmm. So it's creating a lot of isolation, which, uh, you know, that's basically what music is supposed to do is the opposite, tying it back into music. Music is supposed to be a universal language that connects everyone regardless of the background, the country of origin, where you're from. It's it's a it's a, a language that connects people on a different level and you're supposed to get off your technology and enjoy the moment and listen to the music and understand the process and understand what the composer or whoever wrote the piece is trying to express in their music. But again, once again, when you go to concerts nowadays, a lot of people, they're back on their phones. And I'm noticing even in North America and Montreal, a lot of the programs are no longer in, on paper. I understand it's for ecological reasons, but they ask you to consult the program on your phone, on your smartphones. So on one way, they tell you at the beginning of the concert, please shut your phone. <laughs> make sure it's on silent mode. Yeah. But yet you can access the program on your phone. <laughs> so if you want to understand each piece or you're not going to be reading your program, you're going to be opening your phone. And on and Instagram. On Instagram. And they're yeah. not really following it. They're checking their pictures or for something sure. else. For sure. So, I think it's a little bit of a contradiction <laughs> and a lot of music is now done with the aid of technology. A, a lot of things, um, I know you like EDM music, I know I like EDM music. A lot of music is done using electronic devices or it's no longer, it does. 
is no longer true to roots of just traditional from the mind to the paper and pen and then done. It's done electronically. Yeah. A lot of beats that are put on repeat, it's just done electronically. It's no longer a musician that's going to be doing it live. You can be a musician who composes a piece from A to Z, even can be classical, all done in AI, all done with computers. You remove the human element almost from it. <laughs> so that's what I'm noticing. Wow. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're, we're talking about like Asia, AI, technology, being in the moment, music, connections, language, all these things. I think it, it's, a, it, it's a melting pot though. Like all of <clears throat> those experiences instruct like what you play. And I, I think that like my thought on it right now is that I don't, I, I like AI about as much as I like a hammer, you know, okay. in the sense that like, if you because a lot of the edm that i've been producing lately it is analog like i'll i'll use an arpeggiated synthesizer mm. and then record that sound into the interface and then compose it in logic but a lot of the sounds are analog because i like the process of creating as opposed to like uh, setting up a midi track and and automating the stuff mm. But um, that's an interesting distinction. And, and I also think that like different strokes for different folks. Some people are automated type people. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know? for sure. And then the analog people are just different vibe, a different vibe. I, I just find that technology is something that we're going to have to deal with. I'm seeing more and more. It's not just in the music world. It's in the film world. It's yeah. in photography world. Anything that has to do with digital. Mm -hmm. uh, with novels, with the way we write things, with chat GPT, you can have entire novels written without, even without you inputting much, uh, <laughs> much creative or original content. <laughs> you just have to type in a few lines and say, create something for me. Um, I'm noticing it now. There was a release of... Um, a new program i can't remember the name for the life of me yeah but it's a it's a it's an actual ai program that you give them a couple keywords for what would you like as a storyline and they will digitally create an ai movie yeah it's now i think 10 seconds or 20 seconds yeah it takes a long time to process but they will create a movie for you based on a couple keywords that you input into an ai and the music as well i've seen programs where you ask an ai this is the scale I wanted in. I wanted in the style of, I don't know, Beethoven. Here are a couple notes. Create a piece in the style of Beethoven. So they can create complete pieces of music, brand new pieces of music with lyrics, completely done by a computer. I love it. I like it, but it's kind of... It's fucking weird. It feels very sad, I find. It's a sad feeling that we, we are becoming irrelevant. <laughs> I disagree. <clears throat> okay. I disagree because I think of it like geometric capability. Okay. Like I, because I don't think that the one removes from the connection. I feel like it facilitates a different type of connection. Like, because mm. I, I, I value the in the in the moment experience without tech as well. This is the most this interaction that we're having face to face or if we were playing instruments is the most rewarding thing that I can do in music. One of the most rewarding things, but the tools give the capability to a produce drafts far faster and go through categorically more ideas so that you expand the, the ability to be creative. 
is how I think about it for me. Like it doesn't remove from, I don't think we're becoming irrelevant. We're just delegating the not redundant parts of creation, but I don't know. Because I, I think that like sometimes I want to go into a Word document and really struggle with the paragraph. Mm-hmm. Other times I want to get a bunch of draft paragraphs so I don't have to think about that part any longer and and edit the variations so that I can just move to the real interesting thing, which is a particular part of the conversation that we had or a particular quote. Mm. So I feel like it's just like... Uh, makes things faster and more efficient and i also understand the tech overwhelm or the the getting lost in it and it removing from connection i just want to put connection first and if you put connection first then the tech facilitates greater connection from my perspective i'm listening to what you're saying i'm trying to think of scenarios where yes it does remove the mundane aspects of the beginning part of creation I just find that a lot of people are just leaving it as is, as the AI has determined. They don't rework it or they don't use it as a model to be able to create upon furthermore. They just take yes. whatever the AI gives them and that's the finished product. They don't twerk it. They don't like it. Twerk it. Well, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's maybe no, not no. Right. Let's keep <laughs> you know, that. You know what I mean? I really they, want they them to twerk it for <laughs> they, sure. They don't fix it or twerk it, you know, like that. Yeah. So they they don't do anything to do it. They just take whatever the AI trolls out at you maybe minor corrections and they just use it as such right and i find that's weird especially with uncreative it's boring pretty much but that's what people do and my fear is that they're going to be using like let's say this new movie program they will say you know what we have a, a virtual ai idol in japan who's a singer but let's use her look and we're throwing her in a movie and she's the new star of the movie and the main lead of a movie will be someone who sings, talks, acts. The entire movie is just a virtual person that has been created in less than 24 hours on a computer. For sure. And they're going to just be using that because you don't need to pay them very much. You don't, they, they cannot really make, you know, like uh, mistakes. You control them completely. I, I'm just curious how is it going to be. I wonder, because on that note, <clears throat> on that note, um, the, I, I, I think of that as fundamentally uninteresting as a creative person. Like as a creative I, I think about it as like it's like uh, corporate corporate uh, content for the sake of money production is always disinteresting. But time is money. And if you cannot tell the difference between what is real and what isn't, then what's the point? What's the point? I mean, most people, they will yeah. they will not care whether or not they've already started using virtual AI people to replace actors for commercials. And a lot of a lot of the commercials that you see, there's a couple of them. They are actually virtual. Yeah. AI fabricated people. They don't need to pay the actors. They were done in a com- in a studio, and they're for, I don't know, uh, for insurance, car insurance. The actors that they're using are digital, or the children. They don't want to use real children because of uh, laws for protection of children. Yeah. So they use virtual children, and they're not real actors. <laughs> so, but the human eye, some programs are so advanced you can't even tell anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, in the past, like Benjamin Button, they did use AI to transform like um, Brad Pitt's face and make him look younger and older. It's, it's 3D technology, but you can tell it was an actor that they used. Yeah. But now you don't even need that human aspect anymore. <laughs> so right. it just makes me wonder what the future of music or of speech or stories or you can create an entire film with AI music, AI actors, and AI produced gen- generated story. 
everything done just with one computer from your home the entire movie it's it, it, it saves a lot of uh time it saves a lot of money you don't need to hire a whole creative crew right but it's kind of interesting everything is just shot out from a computer from an ai program <laughs> so i don't know it just makes me wonder and same thing for classical pieces you want to do a recording style you don't even need to hire musicians anymore you're just gonna use the computer program and you get whatever you want and it's not even a process anymore it's just you input it to an ai generator and whatever comes out that's what you use because it's, it's getting to a point where they're making really 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 good renditions very little yeah, corrections right. to be made <laughs> so i don't know it's I don't everything know is getting faster and faster and faster. Is that, I, I you know? love it. Uh, personally, I love it. Mm. It's interesting right now, but I think in the future it will be very frustrating for people who actually work in these fields. Yeah, well, yeah. there's, uh, I was, I was, re I'm actually writing, um, ghost writing a book on AI right now for mm. this, uh, an industrialist <laughs> type of guy, like an entrepreneur. And um, one of the things that I got from this editing process is that every, tech innovation throughout history has produced more jobs than uh, it's removed. So what we don't see is the the creativity that we're able to apply and the changing dynamic is actually more of an abundance creator than it is a scarcity thing. Could be. And I, I agree, but I think it, there's a tipping point. That's okay. I wonder. Let's, yeah. let's just go back to how people learn. I yeah. work in the school setting. So you were asking me what I do. I do journalism after my work in a school, I work as an educator in a school. So okay. I work with children directly. Nice to know you. Nice to know <laughs> I you. Thought, I thought you were like pure <laughs> no, musician no. and journalist. No, okay. No. So you're an I, educator. I was an oral interpreter for the deaf. So basically I have to follow children uh, from high school and elementary school. I learned their subject matter and I would rephrase it in a way that a deaf student would understand. <laughs> so they would read my lips, read my facial gestures, my hand gestures, everything. Um, now I work in culture and education. I help children uh, who have difficulties in their school subjects. I go over matters with them. I help them with artistic projects. Basically, I'm working directly with children. And I see a difference between my generation when we were learning. We were having to use our brains, our creativity, having to use pers uh, perspective, learning how to use different parts of our brain. A lot of things now are being cut. Kids, they rely completely on calculators. They rely on their digital devices. They can no longer read analog clocks. They can only read digital time. They very, very rarely know even how to use a basic calculator for simple addition, subtractions, multiplications, divisions. They're not using parts of their brain which helps them make simple math uh, calculations or even simple decisions. They're relying on AI programs. They're relying on easy methods to, to be able to get easy answers really quickly. They are having very short attention spans. They're not taking the time to be creative or to use logic. When you give them problem uh, problem equations and that, where they have to use their sense of logic or their depth of field to be able to see a cube and read it from all sides, they're no longer able to do that. So, yes, you're telling me, okay, it's going to create a lot of jobs, it's cutting time, but people can be creative and the best part of, the, of working on a project is connecting with people, using the AI, but then going over it and being creative. A new generation, the young generation, is losing that capacity to be able to do that. So they are just relying on the answers given by machines or digital devices or AI programs, using it as such, and they have no willpower or they don't even have the facilities, that the, their brain is not being developed to be able to actually do that second part of the creative process that you're saying that you enjoy. Mm. 
So that's what my fear is. We're creating a society that basically is a push button thing. Push the button, you get a reward. You input something very, mm -hmm. very simple, but you're getting a huge mass of uh, information or a byproduct. I just need to type in girl walking under sakura trees in the summertime film yeah. with an emotional romance story. You will have a two-minute clip that is generated by AI with just that simple sentence. It doesn't take much thinking or much <laughs> creativity to just type in a few words. Mm -hmm. But in order to get that final process, if you were doing it the traditional way, it would take you a lot of weeks and days of pondering and inspiration, looking for inspiration outside, going to get reference pictures, finding an artistic style, working with other people to build a team. No, now it's the computer doing everything for you. If you were to create that as as a poll question, like mm -hmm. if if a person's listening to this right now, yeah. and and you were to create like a a stimulating question that could get someone to think and respond, what is the question? Um, a stimulating. Okay. I, yeah, like sorry, we're having this conversation, yeah. and I'm trying to frame the conversation. It's like the. I'm I'm kind of more leaning into the positive aspects of AI for creativity. Mm. You're leaning into negative aspects. Well, not negative. I, I I don't mean to frame it like that, but your uh, cautionary tale, the okay. cautions of it. What would be uh, maybe that's the question. Do, do you believe that AI, the frequent use of AI or introduction to society, is removing human beings' capacity for imagination, creativity, perseverance, and productivity? in creating art great question do you do you believe that ai is removing or inhibiting our facilities to use our brains to the, to the maximum of our creativity mm -hmm. that's how i would kind of see it mm -hmm. i see it yes it's facilitating things but at the same time a very simple thing before people used to till the land in order to grow vegetables you would have to physically go in a field you would have to work the field you would have to use a you know like a hoe and dig trenches and you build your body up. You're in good shape. You're taking in sun. You're taking in air. Your body is being built. You understand how the soil works. What's the good time to be able to, to put uh, seeds in? You have to be pensive of the time. Think of when I have to water it. What is it the right season to plant things? Nowadays, you don't even need to do that anymore. It's all done automatically. <laughs> you don't need to think about any of those things. You can get someone straight out of, I don't know, of a high school who just puts in a couple command codes and the machines will take care of the, t of the tilling and automatic water uh, is going to be sent there it, you can just grow things almost automatically yes it removes all those time but ask that person who's pushing the button do you understand any of that process right they will not be able to tell you that and they certainly are not getting healthier or physically fit actually working the land if the machine breaks down they're not going to be able to grow those, <laughs> I'm at, those plants i go to zumba you know? though i go to zumba yeah. <laughs> on but my phone i'm just i'm just finding home. that if you go to animation school i did my bachelor's in film animation i understand the techniques, I understand the process that goes into making a film. But if you're having someone just type words into a program to say, gener just generate a movie for me, they will not understand all the things that make a movie happen. They won't understand the timing, the pacing, how music plays a part, how how it is that the animation process takes place. They won't understand those things because it's the computer that's doing it for you. So yes, there will be more jobs. Maybe people will have to be able to produce these things. People are going to have to make sure that there, there's no funny elements that are sticking out or there's not an extra finger that's that's appearing on a hand or fix those little, yeah, it'll be different jobs. But you will lose the, the, the process of understanding how things 
are done. You, I don't think there's going to be that many people interested in learning the step-by-step ways. That's why a lot of classical musicians, opera singers, um, cl- not just classical, but any field, they feel that the profession is dying. The, the, the interest to study the details of things is dying. Animation, traditional animation is dying. Nobody wants to take the time anymore to be able to animate, to take the time to do painstaking understanding of a process. No one wants that anymore. Everyone wants fast-paced results. They want things that are easy, input something quickly, get a result. They don't want to learn the techniques behind things. Okay, we can have an argument on that. (laughs) Same thing for cooking. How many people actually appreciate and understand and take the time to do meals? Most people just buy food in a restaurant or Uber Eats or gets food delivered. No one takes the time. There are a few people, of course, but it's also dying. (laughs) The art of cooking is dying. The art of making music a traditional way is dying. The art of animated films is dying. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I think that you appreciate it. You appreciate it, though. Like, what's your process? I appreciate it, but nowadays, yeah. a lot of people they don't yeah, they don't go. Who to cares about anymore. other people? But like for you, what's your process? Like, what do you? What's what do, my process? Like, like moving from because I think that mm. we're we're in. A, I think that you and I both agree the the byproducts of AI in our our lives. Just to kind of like put a cap on th- that portion, or is how we think about it is so unique to the individual absolutely and and like i think that we're we're both in agreement is that like i really appreciate that hard work i still appreciate like really struggling with a paragraph or like uh struggling with the practice because that's the art to me the process is the art so what's your kind of um like if, when you... if i'm writing an article yeah and oh yeah right and if there is a word that I don't understand. Yeah. I will still take the time to go and open a dictionary yeah. and find a word, understand the meaning of the word, correct the word, maybe take a thesaurus, understand uh, where it fits grammatically in, in the sentence. I will do that. Probably I will. Yeah. I'm not just going to go and go on autocorrect and just autocorrect it and have it at the back of my mind and not care about it anymore. I want to understand why I made that mistake, make sure I don't make that mistake again, understand why the word is maybe spelt that way. Okay, I won't do that every single time, but I still have that train of thought. When I'm in school nowadays, I have to beg, I have to cry to get a kid to open a dictionary. They don't care. At, at, a, at a certain point, I'm noticing the younger generation, ah, autocorrect will take care of it. What, what is so they that? don't have a love for understanding words or a love for correcting themselves. And a lot of times, they, they also the answer that they tell me is, spelling is not that important anyway, the computer will correct it. So when I write, when I'm writing an article and I want to make sure that everything is well-written, grammatically well-structured, uh, I take the time to, to really, really make sure that everything sounds fine. I reread it. I'll make other people read it, get an editor to read it, <laughs> then I'll publish it. But that's my process, personally. Same thing for music. If I want to learn a new piece of music, I have to know how to read the music. I have to understand how the, the rhythm works. I have to understand what the, the idea of the composer was. I'm going to have to put in my personality into how I see the piece versus what other people have played or performed the piece. I will do research as to how other musicians have performed the piece before I will myself insert my own feelings and my own ways of playing it. When did you start yeah. developing that? Like it's really, even when you came in, we looked at this picture and you're yeah. like, and we didn't sit sit down until like you figured out where the the hall is and who it is and like. If I was really tech savvy, if I was really like the new generation, I would yeah. just use that app 
image uh, Google Finder. Take yeah. one quick picture of the thing. The AI will tell me what the name of this piece is. They will right. find it for me. Yeah. But I think it's more fun to try and find different ways, as you saw. And yeah. we were trying to, okay, compare. Is it a European concert hall? I think we have to give some context. I mean, like, you have a beautiful uh, scroll painting over here of the uh, Metropolitan Opera House in 1937. And there's a pianist called Joseph Hoffman <laughs> who was performing. So it was this stunning black and white scroll that you have here on your wall. And yes, if we were totally dependent on AI, we won't even need it. We need to go for the new Apple uh, glasses that just came out. You <laughs> wouldn't even need to ask the question because you would come into the room, the Apple glasses would say, oh, that's a painting. By yeah, right. <laughs> that's a photography, black and white photo, 1937, Joseph. You wouldn't <laughs> even need to ask the question. It's just there for you. <laughs> so that's where technology is going. You don't even need to use your brains to ask a question. The information is there. But I, what there I'm asking <laughs> is is for you, uh, where do you think you developed that, like that, that, it's, um, it's from our generation. I mean, it's around our age. It's our generation. It's how we learn to learn. It's not just... Well, I, I was lazy, though. Like, in, I got C's and D's in school, so I would be like, whatever is cool pick. Like, you, Okay, but you, you still learn. I'm pretty sure in school, in high school, in elementary, you still had to learn how to calculate using sure multiplication tables using different methods i'm sure you didn't have but it's a very diligent like you're very diligent in your work i am digital diligent <laughs> so this is a good value maybe it's a good value but i think it's it's also how i was trained to learn how to do those things i i ha don't have the same approach as someone who um i i would feel very uncomfortable just letting a computer dictate what i what i write or just leaving my fate up to a machine or digital device to just what happens if the apple glasses that i'm wearing gives me the wrong information there's a glitch then i would be believing that's the information oh, without, for sure without, without well that's taking the, for a fact that's the that's the amazing capability for like uh for mm -hmm. for uh what's it called propaganda too absolutely is, it, is the programmers are like you can just program like what facts are what about somebody who wants to create fake news? And if, yeah. if as a child or as an, uh, as an adult later on, right. you're not able to distinguish between what has been made by an AI versus what's real, you won't even ask questions anymore. Straight up. And that's a very good uh, can of worms you just opened right there. Yeah, it's, it's horrifying. So, it's, a, it's the stuff of nightmares. It's, it's the stuff of Black Mirror. We're, we're in a Black we're Mirror in a episode. Black Mirror episode. <laughs> yeah, straight up. But I think that's the thing. You, I hope it will just, if I could know. delegate my emotions completely and my brain so that I don't actually have to think or feel, that would be great. You want to be a sociopath or psychopath or something you don't think you no, don't No, because life is so fucking hard. Like, li oh life is God. so painful anyway. Like, just oh. existing is so painful that, like, uh, I'm joking, of course, because it's like... Nice knowing you. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But it, 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 it's, it, it's like, like, what is the Zen thing? Like, life is suffering. Do you meditate? Not much. I no? can't say I do. Yeah. It's like just being able to cope with the pain of, of existing. And of course, I'm joking. But yeah, it's terrifying. Some people, they, they're coping. I'm very sad to say. I have one or two friends on Facebook. They have cries for help. Even this week, yesterday, I saw a comment of somebody who said, help me, because they're having an existential life crisis right now. Right. So there are people who are suffering. I'm, I'm certainly not ignoring that there are people in deep pain and deep suffering. The, the fact is there's a lot of people, sadly, who's, who, who cannot see any other way but giving up on life. And that's how they feel they can ease their pain. Yeah. I'm not here to judge them. I am not living their life. I cannot judge them. 
I only know for myself how I deal when I cope with pain or how I cope with a, a bad situation. I found ways and methods myself to deal with it, but those are individual. It's how I feel I feel comfortable coping with it. My methods might not fit with other people, and I cannot impose those ways. So I think everybody is different. I'm very harsh on myself, and I think you mentioned as well, like, I'm a little OCD on some things. I don't think it's a... I don't think it's the the exact scientific answer of OCD, but on yeah. certain things, I I'm definitely compulsive on. I can I notice it and I can see. I'm very hard on myself. I could be very perfectionistic. So I I I understand and I understand those things, but I also learn how to recognize it when I'm starting to be going too much into a tunnel. <laughs> and then you, for me, what works is I I take a little break and I I tell myself, okay, Jen, you need a break. Change your mind. Do something else. Take a drink. Take a coffee. Take a walk. Whatever it is, change your mind. Then come back and retackle it, mm-hmm. and it works for anything. If I'm getting, re- I'm learning Korean right now. This is a really funny fact, okay? So I participated in a Korean cooking class with okay. one of my best friends, yeah. and uh, it, you didn't really need to be judged by the quality of the taste of the food. There were no actual judges. You had to take a very good Instagram picture <laughs> of the final results. <laughs> and yes, I know we're laughing on it because we we cooked two dishes out of three that they proposed. And of the two dishes, I guess the pictures looked amazing, and we won first place. So was I, it good? Was it delicious? One of the dishes I really, really like. It was a beef bulgogi. Turned out really well. Bulgogi. The other one was a, a very get me some more. soy a soy based miso soup, but it wasn't miso. It was a taiboki soup, and. I personally didn't like the taste, but visually it looked nice. Okay. Either way. Is that which one won the pitcher? Both of them. Both of them? <laughs> yes. So we won Did you rub it in the place. other people's face? Absolutely not. I had oh, no okay. idea who the other contestants oh, were. Oh, okay. We just entered the competition and we won. W- and was it from home or where no, did you go yeah, to? No, it was a, a home cooking thing. So home I, cooking I called thing. my best friend. I said, hey, uh, yo, yo, yo. <laughs> Yo, what's up? Uh, exactly. Uh, let's enter this contest. I want to win. <laughs> you know? And we thought it was going to be the first prize was going to be food, a cooking contest. Yeah. But they told me, no, first place is, I think, eight months of Korean uh, grade one level. Oh. So my friend looked at me. I look at my friend. He's like, yeah, yeah, Jen, you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're doing it. Absolutely. I'm, wow. at, I'm at my fifth class of Korean. Wait, is it online or what's the? In person. In person. Three hours a week. Three oh, hours man. a week. So, <laughs> First, yes, I know. What the fuck? <laughs> I know, what the fuck? But I'm having a blast. It's fun. Yeah, you're, you're enjoying it. Is That's it good. frustrating? Yes, it's really frustrating. It sounds... <laughs> I Like, how you would say, like, and do and follow through on that. You got the follow through capability. I I told you I went to Japan, right? Yeah. I had an avid interest. I still have an avid interest in Asian culture. So I'm half Singaporean Chinese. And I studied Japanese when I was in Japan. And when I came home, returned to do my university, I also took East Asian studies, which one component of it is learning a language. So I had to learn Japanese for one year, which is great. I, I have I have a love for learning languages. Yeah. But Korean is very different from Chinese or Japanese. People are like, ah, it's all the same. It's all like, no, 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 no. The alphabet is very different. The way you pronounce words is different. The intonation, the oh, grammar, grammatical structure Fucking is different. Fucking Korean. It's, it's very different. <laughs> so... learning a new language at an older age is frustrating dude very frustrating (laughs) i know the sack (laughs) debit merci merci there you go ciao (laughs) they're like ask me a question i'm like i don't speak french i am so my brain i'm so slothful in my learning i i'm 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 trying to shame i'm hard on myself too i gotta shame myself a little bit more so i can just 
<laughs> okay, so so uh, it's it's just so a, you're in this Korean class. I'm in the Korean class and <laughs> for the thing you won. Yes, I know. You're a winner. Yeah. You go to Korean class. Exactly. So I, I told myself <laughs> at the end of this, at the end of the eight month, I'm gonna treat myself and go on a trip to Korea. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I have to have some kind of like treat at the end of the whole process Yo. to try and like you know encourage yourself so that's one of the tricks i give myself yeah if you're feeling discouraged remind yeah. yourself what's the end goal so for me the end goal is i will be able to have a basic le- entry level of korean yeah. enough to be able to find food find housing make a friend or two <laughs> you know and then so you're gonna do go it. to korea and Find housing, find, find housing, food, and make friends. And, and Yay! Make friends. So I could go to karaoke or something. Like that. <laughs> so that's the fun of it. So yes, it's frustrating. And I had a little like this week. Not in North Korea though. No, not in North Korea. Oh, and enough Korean to not go to North Korea. <laughs> <There> <laughs> yeah. <you go. laughs> but um, yeah, basically, yeah. Give you saw yourself- Parasite. This, the, I loved Parasite. You know, it was so fucking nice. good. It's a very good movie. I, so, I, I'm so happy it won. South, South, uh, <laughs> South, South Korean, Korean movies, movies are just amazing. so amazing. I know. Yeah, they are. There's, was it, is Squid Game? Squid it, Game is Korean, Korean too. It's Korean. Yo, Korea. Korean culture. Fu- why? How has is exploded there, exponentially yeah, yeah. because of K-pop? Uh, K-pop. K-pop. Yeah. K-pop. K-pop. It started with Korean G- pop. Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style was popular, and when they saw there was potential for other languages that there's an interest in other countries the you have to to you have to understand that the pop culture the um, what do you call the boys and girls bands in asia Mm -hmm. is a huge industry and it's a very huge money generating industry Mm -hmm. they care about image about products they can sell merchandising uh, concerts idol culture everything in Japan is the idol culture, the cute, the cutesy girls in little, little dresses there, mm-hmm. or also like uh, J-pop idols too, like J-pop. The cool. Think Backstreet Boys, Spice Girls. Yeah, Remember right. how popular Backstreet Boys, Spice Girls were at the yeah, time? Yeah, but were, not like, the as girls, popular the as there. It was popular here. My it gosh, was popular for, for many years, even now. I guess, I guess, gosh, right? Now. Yeah. Boys and girls bands was okay. the thing. So it just seems like like, uh, oh yeah, okay. But now yeah, K-pop has incorporated fashion, cool yeah. dance moves. Yeah. Good looking virality. I, I yeah. also they cross uh, different cultures. They do English. Yeah. They do Korean. They go to other countries. They sing in different languages. Yeah. So the one the the teams and the masterminds behind these boys and girls bands, they have learned how to infiltrate all different things that are popular with young people nowadays. Because the young people are the ones who are spending the money. They are spending money on the fashion, on the clothes, on the concerts, on the CDs, on the EP releases, on the TikTok challenges, on everything social media. And they're using social media to get themselves known around the world. And people still have an interest in doing things collectively, being creative. So they want to learn the dances together with their friends. They want to dress the fashion. They want to they want to idolize the makeup, be like their idols. Taylor Swift is having a good time too. She's like really enjoying a huge fan base around the world. But um, when we're talking about K-pop, it has managed to touch the hearts, minds, and souls of young people and capturing their imaginations in many ways. And also spreading good messages uh, to their public, to their fans. Most of their songs are uplifting and have good messages. So it's, it's in a way to make people feel good. But they've really taken over the music industry. I think BTS is like the number one selling band, <laughs> number one group making the most sales of uh, music around the world right now. I think for two consecutive years. So Korean culture has become so popular in uh, North America, anywhere around the world, in Africa. <laughs> and the people in my Korean class, that's what I was finding very interesting. There are a couple girls that are there because they love the K-pop culture. 
a few of them is because their girlfriends or their wives are Korean and they want to have a better uh, open lines of communication when they visit their family. Um, another one is just to challenge their minds. They want to be able to learn. Me, mm. I'm there because of a cooking class. <laughs> there you, go. you won the but, cooking. Yeah, but it's interesting to see the reasons why people learn new languages, especially languages that are so far removed from their own cultures. Uh, I'm Asian, but I don't speak Chinese very well. Shudder to think. But, you know, when you. Sounds hard as fuck. Yeah, it's kind of. Well, it's hard, but the thing is, I didn't have the network growing up. I didn't have that many Asian friends. So, growing up, Mm -hmm. how do you practice language with friends? Watching television programs, listening to music. Mm -hmm. My mom speaks Chinese, but I was growing up in a French neighborhood. So, I had to learn French and English in Saint Constant in the South Shore. Okay. So, in school, my entire education was in French. And at home, I spoke English. So was there a lot of room to speak Chinese? Were there people I could practice with? Not so much. I understand when I hear Chinese, but I'm not fluent in Chinese at all. And I just had an interest in Japanese culture. I think I loved anime when I was growing up. I still like anime. So for me, being listening to music and watching TV programs in Japanese was a huge motivation and for me to want to learn a new language. That's why I learned Japanese, why I studied it, why I went to Japan. Korean, right now, I haven't really heard or listened to much Korean music or TV shows. I hear it once in a while on television shows, on dramas, but it's something I, I struggle with. So when I go to my classes, there's that sense of frustration. How do you how do you go above and beyond your frustrations? I was frustrated with a few grammatical uh, sentences this week, actually. And <laughs> you have to take a step back and you have to just go over the basics and understand things step by step by step to be able to have a better understanding. Re-listen to the lesson. Try and ask friends. I went to Korean grocery stores this week. I went to a Korean restaurant this week and I bugged the waiters. I was like, excuse me, can you help me with this? Whoa. So trust me, I was pretty diligent. I, 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 I even bugged my teacher. I said, you know what? I need I need your help. So I contacted her and asked her to help me on certain things. <laughs> so trust me, I don't want to fail in my Korean. and I want to progress. And I also recognize that when you hit a point where you're getting lost, you must not just say, ah, I'm lost. Okay. You must make sure you understand where you're getting lost and fix it before it starts getting worse and worse and worse. You're like an yeah. intellectual bodybuilder. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I just like, I like, understand like, my, my learning I've, process. <laughs> well, uh, it's so uh, it's 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 inspiring to me to uh, think about how you are learning. Mm. Like the the the. So have you do you, have you ever heard of this guy David Goggins? No. Okay. Well, he's basically like a. Uh, he had a really rough childhood and then he became a Navy SEAL and now he does all of these ultra competitions. Like he runs 100 miles at a time and like 200 miles at a time. He's just a beast. Oh this my God. hardcore guy. <laughs> David Goggins. David Goggins. <laughs> like, fuck yeah, I'm going to take over shit. And his his book, Can't Hurt Me, is just a really good book in terms of um, uh, going beyond what you think your limits are. Mm. Physically, mostly, mm. but m- mentally. And you are demonstrating the same diligence with your learning like you're you learn hardcore (laughs) it sounds like you're a hardcore learner you told me that you had trouble in high school and you're getting c's and d's i had a very hard time with mathematics okay my high school um elementary was fine high school secondary one to three was fine secondary four and five i had advanced math and i had a lot of problems my brain doesn't think 
quickly when it comes to logical mathematical things. So when it comes to chemistry or when it comes to physics, when you have to use advanced mathematics to be able to apply it to equations, mm -hmm. I learned the hard way from the past that I started feeling that I'm falling behind. And I and most when I was in high school, I realized at some point I was lost. The problem is I was not what I'm doing right now. I didn't recognize that point. I was like, oh shit, I'm I'm feeling lost. I'm I'm going behind everybody else and I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. But I did not go back and try and tackle it and try and advance. I just kind of gave up, which mm. wasn't good. Mm -hmm. And a few other things also, maybe, I don't know, I'm trying to think of other situations, maybe sports-wise or whatever. Um, when you encounter a difficulty and you realize that, okay, you're noticing you're starting to fall back a bit and you've reached a point where you're struggling, instead of going to get the help or to to try and push yourself or revise what you're doing wrong, I just either give up or you let go of the activity. And those are mistakes. You so think? For me, I yeah. realized because you never pursued them. And it's the same thing with well, students. Isn't, isn't that the hard <clears throat> on yourself? Isn't that like... you? you I've, me, personally, I felt uncomfortable and disappointed with myself because I feel I know I have a mental capacity to do things well if I want to. Yeah. I've proven in many aspects of my life I'm creative I don't think uh, I'm a person that gives up easily. And when you, you don't seem like it, <laughs> put it this way, you're I, relentless. I'm hard on myself. So when, so I, when, I, when I know, but when I give it's up brutal. on things and when I realize, I realize that I'm at a point where I'm encountering difficulties. Yeah. If nowadays this is no longer my approach, when I realize I'm at a point where I'm having a trouble, I will try and go back and fix the problem before I advance further. I will try every method I can find to fix the problem and not give up. Because once I not give up and I'm finally managed to, to, to understand it, things take back the normal pace and mm. you continue. And then you feel but satisfied at then your you progress. Feel, you feel proud of your progress because you've cemented something. I can think of this one example. Oh, shoot. When I first started in journalism, I was offered the chance to try the Canadian Ski Marathon. So the Canadian Ski Marathon is for cross-country skiing. I never done cross-country skiing in my life. So basically, uh, yeah, bathroom breaks does that. We kind of lose the, the, <laughs> the momentum. The flow. I was just saying I, I had a really interesting experience. I was signed up. Um, well, actually, I signed myself up to try the Canadian Ski Marathon, which is a cross-country skiing experience. Between I, learn, learning Korean? No, that's many years ago. No. Oh, okay, okay. That's when I first started. Yeah. And I was so frustrated because I knew nothing about the equipment. I knew nothing about skiing techniques. Downhill skiing has some similarities to cross-country, but they're worlds apart, okay? Um, cross-country, you really have to use your muscles on your legs and your arms to be able to move yourself forward. Downhill skiing, you just have to know how to to navigate the, the, the mountain. You need to know how to brake easily. You need to know how to use your, your legs to do jumps and things like that. But I didn't know much about cross-country skiing. So when they outfitted me with the uh, with the equipment, they gave me ski poles that were way too high. Mm -hmm. And they gave me boots that were way too small. So my feet were freezing. And they didn't teach me how to climb up a hill. And the beginning of this Canadian ski marathon, you have to climb this hill. <laughs> I think I wasted a good 15 to half an hour trying to struggle to try and get up that hill <laughs> and no one was there to help me or to teach me the right way without going up and sliding back downwards i didn't know you have to like go at a v triangle a way to be able to climb up the hill i wasted all my energy and i was perspiring i was exhausted in the first 10 15 20 minutes of the race and when somebody finally told me how to do it and i was able to go across i was physically tired and I didn't give up, but I couldn't physically complete the whole 
uh, first leg of the race. So I and another journalist who was like, equally tired, we just sat at the back of a truck and uh, it was the truck of shame. And it kind of brought us back to the beginning, you know, at the end of the race, wherever. I gave myself the mission to try and get help actively. So I went and bought myself the equipment. I went to get some friends who are experienced cross-country skiers Relentless. to show me how to ski so that the next year when I signed up for the Canadian Ski Marathon, I will not be pulled back on the truck of shame. You understand? <laughs> so, yeah, basically. Thank you, Paul. But anyway, one of my friends who taught me how to cross-country ski. But, um, yeah, um, I find that it's the same approach to, to learning. When you reach a point, you just got to recognize when you're struggling. Be honest with yourself and realize that the, it's a problem that you need to try and fix. And don't let yourself fall into deeper, deeper, deeper problems. For anybody, if you're, if you're noticing that you're, you're encountering a difficulty and you kind of get the feeling that it's going to go down a very bad rabbit hole and you're going to be having more and more problems, if you realize that you're starting to fall in debt and your method is to get yourself into more debt, your solution is, ah, that's okay, it will fix itself. I'm going to get a second credit card to pay for my first credit card and then get a third credit card to pay for the second credit card that's going to pay for the third and the first credit card. You're just getting yourself into a big rabbit hole, okay? Fix your problem from the beginning. And it, it helps you get back on pace of things. Same thing with, as a journalist. Sometimes you accept assignments and you know it's going to be a very big assignment. No and, shit. But then there's tons of other things that come in and you're just like, oh, 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 uh, yeah. I'm starting to run out of time. I'm having a time limit. You need to fix it from the root. Stop accepting assignments. <laughs> Start focusing on completing the assignments that you have. Did you hear that? <laughs> yeah, Did you hear that, dear listener? Yes. Stop taking on more <laughs> shit. Or stop putting yourself into problems. If you know yeah. you're starting to have a drug problem, if you're starting to have a... A social problem. You're doing things that are bugging the hell out of people and you people are letting you know, hey, this wasn't correct. Yeah. Stop doing it. Try to get friends to motivate you to stop and fix the problem from the root. Have you been a drug yeah. person at all? Ever? Never touched drugs in my life. Yeah. Coffee, chocolate. Coffee, chocolate. Caffeine is a horrible drug. It's addictive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know that box of Lynn chocolate there? You know, you go right through the whole box. And oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the best part about the first chocolate is mm -hmm. the last one oh, in the box. That last one. That, the whole box. The sad mentality. moment. The sad moment when you realize yeah. you've gone through an entire box of chocolate. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, no, I, I think I just actively chose to never touch it because I know myself. I'm an intense person. Yeah, you'd be a great meth person. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, uh, I've never, never, never tried drugs. And yeah. Um, yeah, I could say I've never smoked either. So, yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's things that you just realize that if you go down that road, Yo, for sure. you realize you, you, you will fall down a hole that you, it, just, you just don't want to get your pull yourself out of. Yeah. So sometimes there's certain things you just, you know, that for, you know instinctively or you just know yourself. And I, I don't know. It's just yeah. it's one of those things. Good. So, yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, so when did you, uh, you okay? Yeah. 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 Um, when did you <clears throat> start? the um journalism like when you when did you start music journalism and start covering shows and like how how did that <clears throat> well uh what's your site my site Mi is jen's delights g-e-n apostrophe s delights on mountain lake pbs so mountain lake is an american company it's a fee it's a down in uh, vermont and basically new york state vermont and plattsburgh 
and they represent motherfucker <laughs> and uh basically it's a television uh station that produces um a lot of educational cultural oriented um programming if you've ever seen downton abbey or sesame street as a child it's done by mountain lake pbs <laughs> Pretty much. So it's a family-friendly uh, educational show that doesn't have ads per se, but it's mostly like um, it's, it's viewer-funded. So if they have telethons, they would encourage viewers to contribute money so that they can keep the programming alive and good quality. And uh, they have a lot of classical shows, a lot of musical review shows, antique shows, um public ser- media service shows things and that it, happen in the community and it's jen say it again my column on the website is jen's delights on delights. mountain lake pbs on yeah. mountain lake pbs that's correct cool. <laughs> and i've been doing it for 12 years 11 wow. 12 years now i cannot believe it. it's over a decade <laughs> who's the the um, chief editor what's the like what's the kind of hierarchy base, well how does that work it's a team so there's a I would say the one that I respond to is Jennifer Kowalczyk. She's the one who's two gens, one pub. Pretty much. (laughs) Um, Bill Colgan, the head of PBS. Um, There's a lot of people. I used to work with uh, Paul Larson, who is also a TV presenter, and he does a lot of specialized shows. Uh, there is a it's a team it's a small group of people we all work together we do our own we do our own columns we take care of our own shows sometimes they ask us to cover specific shows if they're not able they live in the states most of the people from the station so I'm in Canada I write mostly for a Canadian audience who wants to uh, either visit the states or who want to do activities with their families in and around Montreal and it's the same thing for those who live in the states who want to come across the border and they want to come to Place des Arts, or they want to go uh, to Mont-Tremblant, or go to Gatineau, go to Quebec City. They, they are looking for what there is to do in Canada. Mm. So I will introduce activities, shows, people, stars, travel tips, all different types of things that have to do with culture, with fun, with education, with outings, and things to do with friends and family that people can try on both sides of the border. So if you're an American, come to Montreal, I have you covered. Or if you live in Montreal and you're curious about what there is to do, I'll have you covered as well. <laughs> Yo, Jen's yep. Delights. Yep, that's right. Dope. And it's uh, in what? I, I chose the name. People laugh a little bit like Jen's Delights. <laughs> yeah, but it's because all the things that I curate are things that I enjoyed or that I personally tried myself. Yeah. So the Canadian Ski Marathon, I cannot put my name on it if I haven't tried it. So that's why I put myself out there to go and try something I've never tried before. Wow. If I, if I would if I were to review a skydiving venture, I'm not just going to talk about it generically. I have to go and actually jump out that plane. Right, Gonzo Gon- <laughs> journalism. <laughs> or if you want me to try frog legs or insects at the insectarium, yes, I have tried them. Yeah, <laughs> and was if it good? and if I enjoyed the experience, T- they're on my website. <laughs> Tastes sure. like chicken. Actually, yeah. frog legs do taste like chicken. Okay. Very mi- miniature frog legs, yeah. Mm. And insects is not as bad as people think they are. So honestly, if it's cooked the right way and not just eaten raw, yeah. If you think of if you think of any fruit product, you just take the raw product itself. Yeah. It doesn't taste that great. Yeah. Take carrots by itself. I'm not get crazy about carrots, but yeah. make a carrot soup or a nice carrot smoothie or something. Carrot cake. That's when you start carrot. Exactly. Carrot all. So take a, you know, delicious fried cricket. Just eat a cricket. It's not that good. Yeah. But take the cricket, make it into powder, pound it into gingerbread cookies. It's amazing. (laughs) Think about it. (laughs) 
Yo. One of the funniest things that people tell me is like, ew, it looks so ugly. I'm not going to eat an insect. Ew, disgusting. Yeah, it's an alien. But then I ask them, what's your favorite food? Oh, I love lobster. I love yeah. crab. Well, sea, excuse me. Sea have you Have you seen the lobster and crab? Reduce it to the size of an ant is not that appealing. Okay. Yeah, straight up. Yeah. I saw some shit in Vietnam ugly, that was know? the ugliest yeah. shit I've ever seen. Like, but, what the hell is... But they is, taste good. They're so delicious. There you go. It, so, like a, what a, did you try? It was... The most horrifying thing <laughs> I've it was okay, it was probably of the crab family, mm. but it was a fucking it was a turtle. It was like a turtle shell, a giant s- turtle shell spider. It it was a fucking spider. Ew. On in because crabs are basically like sea spiders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. it was like it was like a turtle shell with a spider legs and you ate the legs. They had this thing and it was like crawling around. They bashed it. They fucking fried it up. Mm. And then you ate like pieces of its legs. You opened up the legs and it was so bomb. Okay. Well, there you go. It was so delicious. I find people who complain about eating insects. Well, just take the insect and make it to the same size as a lobster and try it with butter. And trust me, you're sold for life. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So I don't know. That'd be awesome if grasshoppers were the size of chickens. It doesn't look I mean, any more disgusting physiologically than a crab or a lobster or any type of crustacean that you're eating on a dinner plate. I mean, like, even th- think think of when you're going to South America or when you're going going to Cuba. A lot of people go to Cuba and they're, they're eating a, a, a roasted pig, okay? I'm sorry for all the vegetarians out there, but it's delicious. But it's not very pretty to see the pig on a roast, the poor pig with an apple in its mouth or a pig that's cooked to a crisp. I find it's really sad. You see the carcass of an animal in front of you, but chop it up and mince the meat and put it in something and it's the most delicious thing you've ever tried. Yo, so I think it's just... Hear that, Christian? It's visually what people have in their minds, I think. Okay, ethically, I think most people who choose to be vegetarians or vegans is because they they have a feeling that, you know, they don't want the animals to suffer. It's not sustainable. I understand. And, you know, that's very good points too. Insects, there are people who don't want to eat the insect. They said, oh, they're sentient. They have feelings. They're also animals, things like that. Some people don't think the same way. Or other people who, you know, they they eat fish only. They don't eat other animals. But what about the fish? Fish don't have feelings? I don't know. To some extremes, people don't want to eat plants because if you talk to the plant, it will grow better. So, I don't know. (laughs) I like like eating turkeys just because I think they're, like, you need to, like, they're so hideous that you just need to kill them. They need to, like, they're good to eat because they're so creepy looking. They're a, they're a mm. dinosaur. I'm joke. Uh, this no. is a total joke. It's a funny joke though. But it's 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 okay. Yeah. That that thing like they're just creepy looking animals. My mentality when I travel, they're a reptile. Is that with, it, they're reptiles pretty much? They are. Yeah. You look at their eyes. They're like Jesus Christ. This thing's a fucking dinosaur. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? Like yeah. I don't know. They have like they're very reptilian. Turkeys. Ch- you look at their eyes. Just. Yeah. Creepy the, ass the, the eyes. Little, like, um, what do you call that? Uh, the red thing hanging from their neck. I yeah. Mean, I don't know the name, but anyway. So that's, <clears throat> wow. That, that experience going back to, so PBS, Jen's Delights, the, you're the, you're the French connection into this, into uh, Montreal, you know, what's up. Um, you've met a lot of like interesting, mm-hmm. famous stars. Like what if, what are, when you think about your experience in that, what comes to, I mean, other than being on the Trust the Band podcast, <laughs> um, uh, like you've probably met some of the, who would you say top desert picks, three desert picks of most interesting people you've ever met? Oh, 
and that, interviewed. That is so hard. That, yeah, that, you cannot. You cannot really. Okay, fuck that question. But no, like, th- it's, it's, who that's, are that's very hard. Who I, are know, three people that you're like, wow, what a crazy life, and what a like what? I really liked meeting Indina Menzel, the girl who sang Frozen. Okay. From uh, the Disney Channel. She yeah. she has a spunky personality. She's doing these amazing tours. She's very well loved from uh, men, women, children, all generations alike. She has an amazing voice. Yeah. And um, honestly, like, I just like how her career has evolved over time. What's she, her name? She, Indina Menzel. Indina yeah, Menzel. Menzel. That's a really yeah. nice name, too. Yeah. I find that, honestly, she has a nice personality. She uh, She's a star in her own right. Like, she's doing performances all around the world. Yeah, she is the queen of Frozen singing the Frozen song. <laughs> but she's a down-to-earth, really lovely person and uh, talented. I just find it it's a nice package. A nice package deal altogether, I would say. Um, hmm. Is, you just different. You meet different artists. I would say uh, Jesse Cook was a very good uh, guitarist. He came to the jazz festival and he uh, he's extremely talented. He has a nice personality. He knows how to uh, express himself well musically and verbally. Um, has a solid career path. That's someone nice. I just went to see a concert by Vladimir Karnalev, who is um, right now extremely popular in the musical operatic world here in Montreal. He's giving concerts a little bit everywhere. Um, he's well known because of Netflix also. He was in a TV program called The Empress about Elizabeth of Austria. So he's a quadruple threat, I should say. <laughs> he's an actor. He's a singer. He's an exceptional pianist. He's uh, an artist all around. He dances, does martial arts, triple quadruple threat. <laughs> and uh, quite quite a talented performer. He did a Edith Piaf solo French show, and he learned French since the month of August, and he did the entire show in French. He hired tutors and motivation for you, Colin. <laughs> I might, yeah. There you I go. I feel so dumb <laughs> thinking made, about this guy. Uh, no, I'm just. I actually I'm, hate him. I'm just no. thinking. No, I don't hate Fuck him. This it's guy. kind of inspiring. It's kind of scary yeah, when you see yeah. people who are just, just so good in neck. multiple things, and you're just like, how does yeah how how is a human brain or personality form like how can there be people of exceptional talents in so many things and they're just darn good at whatever they do and it doesn't seem like they put that much effort but they do put a lot of effort in and they're they're you know they they pour their hearts and soul into what they do and it, it, you just feel that they are naturally talented at things and they what they output comes out well it, it just comes out really well like and, christian gordado and his production capabilities <laughs> represent okay yo. the sound engineer sound, you gotta represent the he's, sound, he's there smiling the sound producer <laughs> i i don't know you were just asking me for inspiring yeah, people so yeah. it's just like i think i admire wow. i admire people who are who have perseverance or who persevere in, in their arts and craft and who have nice personalities who don't just focus on one single aspect of their career but they like they're well-rounded so I, I admire people who are well-rounded and who have a nice sense of um, communication with their crowds. They understand their audiences and they like to relate to their audience. They don't just have the attitude of I'm the star and you have to admire me and I, I am due. Have yeah, you met they, those people? Yes. And I don't want to name them. Yeah, I, right. I, I don't think it's. I um, bet it's really hard. Like, wow. I find that's a weird... it's very hard when you meet celebrities yeah. or even not even international celebrities. I would say local celebrities who believe that they've already achieved the pinnacle of their stardom and they don't really feel they're on the same plane of existence as the rest of the people. I hope so that, they, that's they, a curse. They feel that people owe them. 
Wow, yeah, and the I, entitlement. And that goes across all fields. It can go across influencers, journalists, media, celebrities. It's a it's a very interesting world. There's a lot of people who who put into different categories, different types of media. I would say it's 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 interesting when you work with um, press relationists <clears throat> or when you work with um, with producers directly. They're more interested in knowing how many followers you have. Mm. Or if you don't have a certain amount of followers, well, you're obviously not that important. The problem is that they are not always checking whether or not people have real followers or whether they have bought followers. And they don't see the engagement that people have as well. You can have a lot, a lot of followers, but the engagement is very poor. Versus someone who has a lot less followers, but the engagement is strong. Wow. So it's the same, thing, really it's the same thing for stars and celebrities. Yes, you have... 1.5 million followers but you don't relate at all with your fans wow like they follow nice you because bot. they like what you've produced they like the songs you've done but as a person they don't relate well with their fans other people they they take the time to really get to know their fans know what their fans like um have interesting discussions with them see people from different parts of life different stratas of life i would say i i don't like celebrities who believe that we owe them that we owe them their fame. You, you've worked hard for what you've done. Yes, I respect what you've produced or what your what your team has helped boost and promote you because it's not always a one-person thing. It's not always the, the, the star itself who's brought their fame up. It's marketing. There's a whole team behind it. Yeah. But if you're not relatable to the people who are paying or who are encouraging you, I don't appreciate that as much. What's the percentage, would you say, of like the... Not percentage, but like... Hmm? Is it is it a common theme for you to be like you meet a person you're kind of let down by their character? Mm, I wouldn't say let down. It's just maybe we don't vibe, we don't click as well. I would say uh, it also goes with individual personality. Yeah, <laughs> I have a very unique individual personality, and it doesn't always click with everybody. Some mm. people they want. They, also, you also have to think about interview fatigue. There's a lot of celebrities and stars. They're being mm. interviewed by hundreds and hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. And it's always the same questions that are mm. being asked. At some point, I don't blame them if their mind tends to blank out or if people are too focused, especially if you're a woman. People are going to focus on plastic surgeries you've had, boyfriend, oh. boyfriends you are in relationships or Damn. you're not in relationships with. Or they're going to start like, yeah. gonna, I mean, I understand I'm a woman. Women celebrities are beautiful. And one part of the aspect of marketing is Beauty. your how you look, your visual look. Yeah. But the problem is when interview questions only focus on <laughs> the value of someone's facial look or body look right. and not on what they contribute artistically or creatively to a project. It's, it's more like, oh, well, um, you looked very sexy in that dress that you had there. They're not focusing on the song or on the movie or what they what they contributed. They're only focusing yeah. on, oh, you know that dress that you wore? Everyone's talking about that gown. and mm -hmm. They won't focus on what the person contributed. They will only focus on the visual aspects of things. And I understand when celebrities get protective or they, they feel very hurt. hurt or aggressive towards questions like that. Mm -hmm. So and it, it's not just with women i think some men can be sexualized or can be objectified as well but it's mostly happening to women sadly i would say um so i don't know it, it, sometimes when you meet celebrities they already they're they're people so they already come with their own ideas about who you are as a as a person interviewing them 
They're also coming in with an idea of the channel that you work for. You can be a very nice reporter, but if they don't really like the station that they're having the, the interview for, or if they have um, a ready preconceived idea about why they're doing an interview for certain things, they can come in with a different attitude. As, as an interviewer, the only thing you can do is try to relate to a person, try to try to understand where they're coming from, understand the image that you're representing and try and find common ground and make the thing happen. I think that's uh, you have to be you have to have good social IQ. You were talking about IQ is not always about logical mathematical um, IQs. It's also about social IQ, artistic IQ. Some people are just not good people readers. They they don't understand social cues. Yeah. So that's am I disappointed? Not disappointed. It's just it's a challenge each time to try and figure out a person. It is a challenge each yeah. time. I was just thinking about that um yeah. because uh, I had a an interview it was my first interview that i felt deeply drained from yeah and i realized that that's just uh as a portfolio of of interviews that i conduct that's just part of it like you're mm. gonna have a moment where you're like someone's not or someone's uh responding or feeling a certain way and i can't control the outcome of an interview mm -hmm. yeah and that eq is so important the mm. emotional intelligence. Mm. Mm. Um, so my my friend Travis, he, he goes by the stage name uh, Dirty Eddie. <laughs> he's an awesome. <laughs> he's a great guy. Uh, I always I love his name so much that I he's like um, the Superman in my Seinfeld episode. Like nice. Superman, it gets mentioned every time. Like I try to mention Dirty Eddie like almost every set. Um, but uh, he has. Um, Tools, tactics, strategies, systems for career, moving a musical career forward. What are some of the tactical things that you've learned to do on the business side? Like, Don't surround yourself with toxic people. Cut them, recognize them early on, cut them off. <laughs> wow, yeah. Toxic people. They're the people who will bring you down, who will not have your back, who will steal from you, want to manipulate you, and eventually they will leave you and they will leave you much worse than when you were before you met them. <laughs> How do you establish a, a filter for that or a criteria for pick up on cues really quickly? The if cues. you notice that a person starts making even little negative comments, little ones, things that are can so insidiously seep into your mind and make you feel bad about something. Yeah. If you have a manager, if you're I'm a girl. So if you have a manager and they start like telling you something instead of, putting it in a way that makes you feel good. Like, let's say you want to wear something that you really like and they yeah. say, oh, don't wear that. You look like a slut. Or very, very quick comment. You've had this? I've had some other variations of yeah. things. Or little cues like that. Or, hey, uh, they will tell you, uh, instead of telling you, I don't think this is the best choice that you're wearing, It might you might be portrayed in a different way than what you want. You know, like people might see you differently than what you're trying to show. There's a way of explaining things to people. Mm -hmm. But if they're using a bad term towards you, that's usually a cue that that's what they think or worse. Yeah. So it's it's it's, it's not um it's it's not it's in the way that people say things. Yeah. Know? No shit. Uh, if you notice that they've ever stolen from you in a very small way, like you know, you notice that they're taking a bigger profit margin than what they should have, or money's missing somewhere, or that they're concluding deals but you're not seeing where your money is. I give you an example. Someone hired me. Um, for a violin gig 
during a for uh, for an event the person is postponing payment postponing postponing giving me all kinds of reasons in the book why they cannot pay why they cannot pay eventually the person disappeared and called me a year later saying you know what i'm i'm running a charity right now would you do, like to donate what? the money i owe you to that charity and yeah it, it, that's shady right from the get-go yeah. <laughs> come on cut those people out yeah. the minute someone is defaulting on the terms that they promised you that you should receive your payment at the end of the performance or before the performance whatever you agree to and if the person's not keeping up their end of the deal yeah and it's not for and you can you smell something is shady or something is off you don't work with them ever again and yeah. you realize it quickly you have to learn to pick up on it don't be forgiving do, do not be like oh it's okay it happened once if you feel you have to call a friend or you feel in your gut you have to talk about it because it's making you really feel uncomfortable it's because the situation's bad you if if it's something that in your mind you can just say very easily ah it's okay it's just a little mishap i, I intrinsically t trust the person that's fine. But if you see yourself complaining to your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your best friend, whatever, and you're saying, you know what, this person, I'm not sure. Am I wrong? You know, I have a feeling that, you know, this person. The constant second but the guessing. fact that you have to second guess and the fact that you feel like you have to ask the opinion from somebody else, you're not feeling comfortable in that situation. Something yeah. is off. Something is off. Already the fact you need to spill your guts on it, it's off. So trust your instinct. Break off the ties in a polite way. Maybe you were right, maybe you were wrong about the situation, but it's you're obviously not feeling good about the situation. And you're wasting time mulling over whether or not you should trust that person to continue working with that manager or that person or whoever. It's best that you cut off the time with the person and find somebody else that you can build a trustful relationship with. Dude, I fucking so agree. Yeah. So, I, yep. So yeah. if someone gives you verbal cues that are insulting, even in a minimal form, if someone is acting in a way that you are picking up there's a there's a growing problem or a feeling of discomfort that's something you should walk away toxic people people who talk behind your back even once or twice if they're talking behind your back once or twice or saying something not up front in your face you cannot work with those people yeah so i i don't know and i think that goes only not just for work relationships that works for partners or for friends even sadly enough yeah or good like anything yeah yeah. wow i love that uh that you went there first i and i relate so much and i won't go into my own uh, maybe mm -hmm. it's, that's a whole episode on on its own but there's uh yeah. i um okay yeah and moving on from that but i so relate uh, i will oh, say this oh what oh, i forgot one what? thing oh there are people who uh, are piggybacking off you to yeah. be able to achieve their own fame Ends. and fortune if you are in a relationship, working relationship with somebody, both of you should be helping each other obtain success. If the person is only piggybacking off you and using your name and your status so that they can prop themselves up, that is leading for a disastrous situation. And it you will always feel that you're on the losing end of the stick or that the person took advantage of you. So that is a third type of toxic person you got to be careful of. And it happens so often. A lot of people, they want to get that job or get that position or get that stage or get that interview because it's going to elevate their social status. They don't give two hoots about you. They only want to push their career forward. So that is one type of toxic person that happens very often and it can start very slowly. And it's it, it has very bad effects in the long run. Yeah. I don't know if you can draw your experience on that, but uh, yeah. I don't know. I've, I've, what's interesting about that one is I feel I th on that side, I reflect, which is so ironic. Actually, this is an interesting thought experiment is I have, um, so I had a 
client that I was working with and he one of the reasons why I wanted to work with that client is because he's he creates action like he creates so much action that you know there there are referrals there and it's a strategic partnership mm. and it was more on uh, my vibe was more on the be there for the receiving aspect and as soon as there there was a dynamic in our relationship where at first I was learning from this person and I was obsessed and like adding value and cr- contributing mm. and then I started getting a benefit from that contribution in terms of his referrals and then the referrals I the energy shifted now I needed him and I felt like I was a buy like I was going to these events with this person so that I could kind of access the network and get something from it. Mm-hmm. As soon as that started happening, at some point it, I had to cut off the relationship because I acknowledged in myself that this isn't abundant anymore and I'm and I'm here because I'm getting something from it and it didn't mm. feel good on my side. Mm. Um so I, I can relate to that to where um I'm kind of like thriving off someone else's action Mm. these things are also like uh, what i'm noticing is that they're not linear or they have like a season or a chapter and you have to recognize that sometimes something's abundant and pure and beautiful at first and it transforms into something uglier through time i think the term of it is parasitic relationship it's like a parasite. Yeah. It's, it, yeah it's, thanks. It's, it's yeah, I was being at the, in the parasite. Beginning. It's small and you know inconspicuous, but as it grows, it gets inconspicuous. Really, it's nice. small, yeah, really tiny. But yeah. as it grows, it grows bigger and grows like a tapeworm. It just infiltrates the whole digestive system there. You know, <laughs> but honestly, yeah, um, yeah, th- those are the type of toxic relationships. I think that. Uh, Sadly, it, it happens on all different types of relationships. It's not just working ones. And those are things people don't always recognize because we have emotional attachments to people. And we grow a lot of emotional attachments to people. That's the thing is like, and, and it feels embarrassing to even like speak yeah. it out, out loud. But it's yeah. also, it's because of those emotional attachments and, and just like wanting for things to be consistent throughout time. Or you want things to get back to the way it was in the beginning. Ah, oh, remember how it was? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Remember how we were when we first met? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, that yeah, ideal yeah. is in that, yeah, yeah, that idealization. And you feel that strong obligation because either obligation. you have that time that you've invested and you fit, you think it's the investment. But what do you do when you invest money in, uh, in a stock that is plunging? You yeah. pull out yeah. or... Sometimes you don't and you lose all your money or sometimes you're very lucky and it goes back up. But I think human relationships aren't always like the stock market. I don't think you can, it's not like something cold like money where even if it goes up and goes down, it's fine. The problem with human relationships is that it accumulates in your mind and you will never forgive something really purely if it turned really sour. Yeah. You will always remember it and it it will just add on. Yeah. Add on, add on, add on. There are some people like if you think about or think about a romantic relationship and everything is great and good, the person cheats on their partner. Even if you forgive the partner, it will always be at the back of your mind. Yeah. Always be there. The, the relationship might be strong and good again, but the minute something feels off, you will go back to that. You say, yeah. "Oh, what's happening?" Yeah, that's so, scar. And it it's the same. It it's the same thing for work relationships. If the person ever tried to make use of you financially or try to piggyback right off you, you will always have that little. Are they doing the same thing again? Are they doing it again? Yeah. Are they trying to screw me over again? Or are, are they are they trying to advance themselves? Are they going to backstab me at some point? E, it's hard. 
but emotionally you might be tied to a person you might work with somebody for 10 years and you have oh that's 10 years dude it's 10 years you know but still it's do you really want to continue on you're wasting a lot of time emotionally mulling over things i don't know those for me are the things that i i think about uh when you decide to do uh work things with people. the other thing that i'm getting from what you're saying though and and i wonder about this is mm -hmm. i see a dynamic with a lot of musicians especially people who are starting out and they have some sort of block around money and getting paid mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and and asserting their the, <clears throat> asserting the the business hat over art they're like it's my art i can't like inf mm. i can't fuck with that but you seem to have a pretty good business sense as well yeah and i have a little word to say on that so often like i play in an orchestra i i play i was singing in a musical um yeah i'm fix the microphone <laughs> um everyone wants something for free and that is something i've, I've noticed there are a lot of photographers out there who earn their lives as a photographer or they do it as a serious hobby. I work as a journalist. It's a serious hobby. I would say it's it's a career. It started off mostly as a hobby but became a career. But time is money and it's your profession, it's your reputation at stake. A lot of people, I'm going to give the example of photographers, they get caught in a rut. They they offer their services completely for free, saying, "Oh, it's going to bring me clientele, it's going to bring me exposure, you know, uh, I'm doing uh, I'm doing this because it's going to bring me more people. It very rarely does. Quite honestly, right. they get they, they get stuck. Oh, well, you did it for free before. Well, yeah, why, not? Right. Why, why, would, why would I pay you $5,000 now? I have a friend who's a videographer, started off as a film uh, doing um, pictures. Everyone wanted free pictures from them. Now they switched into video and they charge a lot. They do corporate videos right now and they charge a pretty penny for their time and their effort. They spend hours editing and filming and they haven't used ai yet okay but it's a lot of time spent and they need to live it's their living they spend thousands of dollars on a new apple computer and and all the equipment it costs money and what are they getting back i have a friend who's a pianist and i said oh would you like to play you know uh, something for free at a gallery and they were just like you know what it's my profession you would never ask a lawyer or a doctor to do their services for free why are you asking me to play for free you know I understand we're friends. Okay, we're going to play music. If you're, if you're doing it because you want to do it for free because it's a friend and you're doing it out of the goodness of your heart and you want to share your music or your skills or your photography or videography because it's a friend and it would make you feel happy because it's something you're doing as a hobby, do it. But if you're doing it with the hopes that it's going to get you more clients or give you great exposure or because um, it's never going to, it's not going to. People will say you've done it for free before. Why would we need to pay you? And it will always be like that. So then how yeah. are you filtering those yeah. experiences so that you can target paid gigs? You start off by always charging something minimally. It doesn't need to be much if you want to start off small. But tell people, listen, this is a skill. If you're hiring me for something as a job, you need to be paid a just reward. It could be small and it could be, but something that you get something back for it. If they don't want to pay you money, you can ask for something else uh if it's at a wedding, hamburger meat if you're at a wedding and the person says hey would you play for free yes but I, you're having the dinner at the wedding they're taking care of your transport and, okay and they're giving you a bottle of wine to say thank you yeah or something okay half or, bottle of cocaine or well maybe it depends on the type of wedding you're going to you know <laughs> but you get what i mean right so you you make sure that they understand that <laughs> what you give you has value it's not just that it has no value 
you understand that's that's another thing um, people will put labels on certain things if if it's done for free people think automatically it's not worth Cheap. much it's not worth much mm-hmm. or they they will accept that as a standard of what they can get for free and okay. ex- and ex- and expect more a lot of people they go through that route but it doesn't really always work in their favor professionally as i said if you're doing it as a favor and out of your heart you have no expectations for what it is if it brings you more exposure great but you don't care about it quite honestly you're just doing it because it makes you happy to do it there's nothing wrong with that any even a doctor and a lawyer if they're a good friend of yours and you're in legal trouble if they love you and they care about you they're not going to charge you because they care about you they want to help you they're not going to say well this is a job but if you're asking somebody hey as a job I need help as a job. I would like to, you know, ask, can you do it for free? No, 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 no. That doesn't work that way. So you start off small and don't accept something that you would feel that you're disappointing yourself in. If you feel that you're being used, that's a good example. You, if, that's what I that's what I meant. You have to judge how you feel. If people are complaining, oh, you know how, but I'm a budding uh, student, a photographer or actor or musician, whatever, you know, I'm feeling that people are not recognizing me. They're not hiring me because you're feeling bad. You're accepting stuff and feeling bad about it. That's why you're complaining about it. If somebody is a student but doing things for free because they're just happy doing it as part of they feel as the part of their learning process, they wouldn't be complaining about it. And at some point, people will start paying them. And then they'll be like, hey, guess what? I got my first paid gig. You know, they will be so focused on that. But somebody who's perpetually saying, hey, you know, uh, people only want free all the time is because you're accepting to do it for free. And you're feeling bad about it. If you're feeling bad about it, just stop accepting it. That's about it. On the mm. the pump, on the pumping the marketing, like mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you go out into the jungle and pump out the marketing? What is the, like... More specifically, how are you... Um, promoting yourself. Yeah, how are you promoting yourself? What's the mm-hmm. kind of tools, tactics, resources on that side? You have to know your clientele. You have to know who is going to be eventually paying you, who is going to be the ones who are going to want to hire you. Yeah. You got to focus on that. You need to understand your market, first of all. If, you, if you're saying, I'm going to be a classical musician, I'm going to go to a rock concert, everyone wants classic. Good luck. <laughs> if you're going to be hanging out with friends who only like punk and only like rock and only like EDM, you're no one's going to hire you for a jazz gig or for a classical gig. No one right. will. They might out of, okay, is the ones in the ones in out of the blue, we need a violinist for the first 10 minutes of this in classical feel. Okay, out of the blue, they might ask you once. But your main audience is not there. If you hang around with people who like classical music or who are getting married soon or, you know, like any type of event, you get you don't need to be friends with them all the time, but you need to create a social network with those people and let them know that you're a musician. Let them know you're a classical musician. Then they will have you in their mindscape. It takes a bit of time and investment. You have to spend the time with the people who are going to be purchasing your product. If you're going to be a, an artist, don't expect to go to a skateboarding park and everyone's going to want to hire you. There might be a potential clientele. They want you to customize their skateboards or whatever see potential or collaboration to tell people hey yo if you want me to customize your skateboard i'm an artist yo you could maybe there's potential but generally speaking you're not going to find your main clientele in places that have nothing to do with what you're doing yeah right (laughs) there might be exceptions there are everything is interconnected in life good grief i could be at a a conference for people who are trying to get out of uh, i don't know cocaine addiction or whatever okay let's just go and say yeah, that hamburger like that. meat edition there you go and I, you go up and say i, I i'm a classical I've... musician so you could tie it in well you know what you want a therapeutic moment hire me as a classical musician i'll give you a zen moment you know yeah. there's ways to tie into anything <laughs> right. but if you want to sell yourself and if you want to sell your art and sell what it is that you do you got to find who are going to be 
purchasing what you're trying to promote and sell. And you're going to have to find ways to connect with them and let them know that you have things that you can offer. And you can discuss with them and tell them, you know what, I'm starting off. And don't just say I'm looking for exposure. That's that's not Never. everyone yeah, looks for exposure. Even 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 big stars. Yeah. All the marketing is focused on getting them more exposure. Everybody yeah. wants exposure. Don't be a streaker. No, 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 no. They get lots of exposure. Oh, they definitely do. <laughs> but what I mean is like it's a world of when you do something, of course you're gonna want to be recognized for what you do. There's nobody who's gonna do something and they want zero recognition, okay? Even yeah, yeah. Bangsky is as elusive as he is. Yeah. He does all the stuff he does so that people talk about him. Who yeah. is this guy? But that's his exposure. Who is this guy? Yeah. That's what he wants. Right. He, he's incognito. I you am don't know someone. His name, but that's part of the marketing. I'm the no exactly, one. Exactly. You know. So I find just using that as a oh, I'm just gonna do it for exposure. No, 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 no. You're you need. A return for what is it that you're giving out that's mm -hmm. just rewards and i think that's important that just blew my mind a little bit more every single fucking unit of of interview just slightly chipping away at all my self-limiting beliefs <laughs> it's really it's really not about i'm not interested at all in what you said it's more about what what you said has to do with me Okay. I'm, I'm joking. That, that's okay. a really like, I was just like, I'll be the, the, the okay. <laughs> I, I was just going into, um, what's it called? The, um, those celebrities that you're mentioning, the narcissistic celebrity moment. No, I, but I just, but, I just but find there I is, just, there is no such thing as complete. Uh, there are some people who really are selfless, who just do not care about what it is. A person who goes and spend two years in South America or Africa and does volunteer work to build a school or build a well, they're not doing it completely selflessly. They're going to talk about it and they want people to know that, right. they, that they've done volunteer work. dating profile. They want people the to know. The little spoon feeding the they African They are kid. a good person because yeah. they have built schools and water wells and they volunteered for two years. But make sure. sure you remember that. Yeah. It's very important you know it. And it's important that everyone knows that I was on a two-year retreat. I was on... You know, like a yoga retreat and became a guru. And yeah. it's, it's not a selfless act. If it was something yeah. that you didn't want people to know, you would never mention it. For sure. Because it was done for yourself and nobody else and just by accident, someone might see a picture and say, oh, I didn't know you did a yoga retreat or you build a well. But anyone who talks about it is because they wanted, make no mistake, they wanted you to know that they did it. So it's the same thing for any type of musician or artist. They, they, there's no such thing as, oh, I did it volunteer out of the goodness of my heart because no, 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 no. If they, you did it that way, it's because you want people to know that you did it. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. Very, there might be a few exceptions, but quite honestly, the majority is like that. I, so, yeah. the, I, I got so much from that. Just the, like it reminded me of uh, on a tactical level, just reaching out to the people who've given me praise and getting their name and email uh, so that when I have a show, I invite those people. Yeah. Like just know who the people who, mm -hmm. there are people who stand at the back of the room. Those aren't your people. When you say, hey, come up to the front of the room, um, get close is, is a, a connective thing in performance when you're at like an open mic or like at a if you're playing a, a show the people who come up and the people who come up to you afterwards those are the people that you want to stay in contact with absolutely and they're your biggest fans and I, I would say know who your fans are know who are your main supporters and do everything you can to keep them yeah Make, not everything i mean like, eh, there's extremes there. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, but uh yeah but uh you get what i mean yeah. that's why they call fan service fan service is when you know who your die hardcore fans are and you give them something special because yeah. you know they're gonna support you no matter what you know like they're they're the people who make up the heart and soul of your fan base 
yes, you want to get new fans, but it's those, usually it's those die hardcore fans who are going to be introducing new fans to you. Fuck, oh, dude. Oh, I, a lot that, of them will. That just fucking blew my mind. Yeah. And it, it, the Daddy, little, it just blew my mind. Uh, uh, it's kind of like, you know, the like fucker, that. That's so good. That's so... I tend to forget, because like, we have this... We have an idealization of of what is next, and that's a big question mark. But the full stops are what you want to support. The question marks are like where you're going to next, but the the full stops, like this is a real fan. This is someone like end of sentence, right? That's a full stop. That's a period. Those full stops, you want to nurture those relationships because mm -hmm. they create more question marks. Mm -hmm. You have to nurture them, but you also have to leave them wanting a little bit more. You have to let them be surprised by what you're going to do next because you in a good way you you want to be raised up in their ideals so that you continue keeping them as fans but at the same time you also need to like cultivate the relationship that you have with those true believers those true fans the ones that support you intrinsically no matter what you know they're the ones who are going to non-stop be your best advocates be your best marketers they're the one who are sharing your performances showing the pictures showing the hey look how how much i love this band so they're the ones who are going to be doing a lot of free marketing for you Mm -hmm. and you can use that as a powerful force and you're not making use of them you're working with them it's not it's not an abusive relationship you are actually lovingly accept their love their attention on you and you're giving them back and even more and you should be protective of them as well and that's an important thing too you're protective in the sense that you're nurturing that relationship that you have with them you make sure that they are happy that they are happy with what you produce if there's something that they're not happy, you try and fix things with that, with that group of fans, I would say. And you should listen to what their feedback is. And it's interesting when you when you see them people tagging pictures of you, see how they tag you, see how they how how they how they view you. That's an interesting thing too. Mm -hmm. If if you're always seeing like um hmm, I don't know. Good good example. Like I have a friend who um is a musician. And the comments on the pictures are always, oh, you always look so angelic, you look so elegant. Every time you perform, you're always looking elegant, you're looking elegant, you're looking angelic, you know? That's what that performer has, a, her fans, their perception of her is that she's angelic and elegant all the time. So when she decided to do a rock and roll type thing instead, her fans were shot. I'm like, whoa, 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 you did a tangent. What happened here? <laughs> you know what I mean? But she explained that it's a, nat a different step in her career where she wants to change and be a different type of personality on stage but she still wants to respect the opinions of her fans you know she wants to make sure that they they, they are they feel seen they feel heard and they understand that there's a transition but she does it in a respectful way mm. to some extent i can even say like think of miley cyrus remember hannah montana and all of a sudden wrecking ball Amazing. that was like big k you know like a, a, a k is like you know our shasmet a big fisher is to her previous disney personality versus wrecking ball chick you know and uh, she lost a lot of fans because of that right it was a good marketing thing everyone talked about it but she lost all her disney fans the ones with kids and parents they didn't quite follow her anymore <laughs> some did because they liked the new version they're like ah we're gonna f support you no matter what it might risk happening but it's interesting to get feedback from your fans and see how they tag you how they talk about you it's it's interesting mm -hmm. yeah mm-hmm mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and does what they say align with your values does it align with what you're trying to portray out to people i always uh mm -hmm. even in this dynamic of the conversation it's it's a good to to be aware of the two concentric circles and i, I think where it really starts is with art, art creation 
I can't look at a fan or a crowd or an audience or my perspective of anyone else's approval at, to instruct what I'm doing because then I'm going to create for someone else and I'm, I'm not mm. creating for anyone else but myself, I hope, um, f- first. But the, it's a, it, I think that there's a lot of people feel compromised about that particular dynamic, like external... There's a weird there's a weird element of, of being a performer where we're performers we're performing yeah. stuff yeah. and we've learned or at least i've learned to do that i learned how to get laughs so that i can protect myself in like violent situation violent situation so i like i think that being a performer is rooted in some sort of like fear of being hurt mm. um but I, dude i just went like whoa like i'm just thinking out loud about how I perceive that dynamic between having fans, you don't have them, but you're interrelating with fans and they appreciate the things that you've done and how you can support them while still maintaining the integrity of what you're doing for yourself. Yes. Well, I mean, look, I'm, I'm trying to think of a different situation. Um, I went to the Canadian international violent competition. Okay. There is a trend now in the competition world that a lot of the judges are looking for technical perfection. They're going to give and award prizes to people who are technically perfect, but that doesn't necessarily translate as to giving a performance that engages the audiences emotionally. Yeah, right. We have performers that gave brilliant emotional performance, but had problems with a little bit of technical issues or little mistakes or things, but oh, it connected so well with the audience. Right. They're not the winners. They're not the ones the ones that win the support of the audience, they're not the winners. It's the ones who are technically perfect. Which is so fucking even, weird. Even if it's robotic or even if it's yeah, doesn't sound great, yeah. it's a system. It's like in the Olympics when you do figure skating. It's not about the one who gives the most beautiful artistic presentation all the time. There is elements for artistic presentation. Yeah. But it's mainly the ones who execute certain types of jumps in their routine and who have the the technical scores that are going to be the winners. There was a huge scandal with, uh, I think, um, very young figure skaters the the very young 14 15 year old figure skaters and they all won because they the the, the um, their trainers timed their performance with all the jumps that were going to give them extra points in the entire choreography they didn't have the most beautiful routines but all the jumps that they needed to perform to get the high points were there yeah so like a jack they, russell so they won you yeah. understand yeah. but was it beautiful Dude. the presentation i'm not so sure yeah. same thing for the, the music world i know that I went last year to the international violent competition and there was discussions among the audiences and among the, the judges and people who just attended. And they were like, it's not necessarily the performance that touched the hearts of the people the most that won. It was the ones that were technically good. It's fucking weird. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a hard arbitrary thing. metrics for it's, success. It's, not arbitrary. it's just, it's just different. So the mentality of the schools right now in music is that you are being trained to be technically great, but not, you don't need to engage with people as much. So it's kind of funny, like when you give a performance, you're saying, oh, you're playing for yourself. Yes, but these performers are playing to win points with the judges and make right. sure that they get those those um, those points. And are you thinking about the people listening to you? Mm, there's a lot of competition winners. They produce CDs that are not captivating. Like They're the winners. Their prizes are to do recordings, but their recordings are not that engaging. So people don't really buy them <laughs> you know like i would much me personally i prefer listening to a musician that's perfect not perfect but engages me well and makes me feel strong emotions 
I, I guess it's different mentalities for different types of things. And it depends who you're playing to and for what context, I would say. If you're in a band, you're not trying to get, like, um, you're not trying to win a competition or anything. So, yes, you're going to play for yourself. And it's good if it, it touches the hearts and minds of your audiences. But I don't know. Some people, they care about how their audiences react to them very much. They, they, they will engage with the audience very much live on stage and trying to trying to feel the vibe of the room yeah. others don't care is you you just enjoy what i'm giving you and that's it <laughs> different yeah. different mentalities i guess different mentalities for sure yeah it depends on who you are as a person and yeah the context of things everyone's different <laughs> it's the same thing like when you have celebrities giving an interview are they just speaking because they're just trying to get off everything that's in their mind off their chest what the dog ate that morning what their wife said last night because she slammed the door i don't know <laughs> they are living either in their heads or they're talking to the presenter and they want to feel the vibe of the interviewer or they don't care. They're only caring about what their listeners are going to be hearing. They're going to be talking or saying about what they know their listeners are going to want to hear or what they, what, you know, whatever it is. So there's a lot of different planes of, uh, of thought as to what, 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 a, how an artist is going to speak in an interview or how they perform on the stage. Yeah. Yo, um, what time is it? I got to cut this off. Um, <laughs> uh, dope, dope experience. You're awesome. You are awesome too. I had fun. <laughs> I had a lot of fun too. Um, where, what's the best way? What's next? What's next for you? What's the, um, I'm with the E Medici orchestra and we're having a upcoming concert, uh, in the month of May. Okay. So you can look that out on E Medici. <laughs> How do you say that? Spell that. E M E D I C I E Medici is the doctor's orchestra. I'm not a doctor, but everybody in the orchestra, most of them have some kind of relation to the healthcare network. Doctors, nurses, pharmacists, students, friends of doctors and nurses and musicians. Wow. <laughs> I wonder um, how much Adderall will be pumping through the veins of the people there. Lots. <laughs> it, we're actually um, going to be giving a very nice concert. I'm looking forward. We're playing Philandia, which is a very nice piece. Um, let's see what else musically. I just did for Valentine's Day the uh, singing Valentine's for La Cena Musicale. It's the Montreal musical magazine for classical musicians. And we were giving Valentine serenades to elderly people over 65 for free. We gave a hundred of them. And then people under the age of 65, people could uh, hire around 12 different singers, musicians, violinists to be able to, to do pre-recorded video live uh, serenades to their loved ones. So I did 12 of them. It was really fun. <laughs> and people find it's a very unique way to, to you know send a gift for Valentine's Day to people. Say it with a song, with lots of love. So I'm going to be doing it probably for Mother's Day coming up uh, also in May. When's Mother's Day? I, in May, I believe. Okay, yeah. good. We got enough time. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have time. It's on the website. You can look at La Cena Musicale. And we do it usually for Mother's Day, for Valentine's, sometimes for Christmas. There's different editions of it. But that was pretty successful. Um... I just finished singing in an awesome opera called Sortilegio. It was a vampire opera. Wow, and, my uh, type of Vivienne vibe. Delorme is the one who uh, who wrote the libretto uh, with Elizabeth Rom with the music. And they're looking for production companies to pick up the opera. And they hope that uh, other productions are going to want to pick up the rights and to be able to produce it. And we gave a performance on Halloween. It was really nice. And it's uh, it was a fun project to sing in that opera. <laughs> Opera was there? Were there uh, people like acting and stuff? Yeah, to, yeah. yeah. It's, it was a full-scale production with costumes and sets and decors. It was at uh, Pierre Mercure in Pierre Pelado Center, and um, yeah, it was a great experience. So I guess musically for me, it's continuing to to perform at gigs and to do collaborations with other musicians, do recordings, 
uh, do singing projects, orchestra. Yeah, it's a, it's an ongoing surprising process. You just never know what's what's going to pop up next. Wow. Yeah. What a fascinating yeah. life. Lots of weddings coming up for the for for summertime. Already, I have two bookings already. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of things to prepare. I guess it's it's fun. Wow. Um, I'm learning my Korean, so that's what's new. Uh, <laughs> watch out, Korea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch out, Korea. Here I come. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna make some friends, eat some food, and what was the other one? I gotta make some friends, eat some get food, some and food. get a hotel, and, and get a and hotel. not go to North Korea. <laughs> excuse me which way is not north korea which way is south <laughs> yeah. and uh, i guess traveling wise um i just returned from greece over the christmas holidays i had an amazing time over there um a shout out to my friends yanis and vasiliki you gave me an amazing time honey <laughs> and uh, they introduced me to a lot of really wonderful greek singers and music we were listening we were driving all across the country and listening to these awesome Greek traditional songs. So I think it, they're very beautiful, a lot of them. There's one that I really like called Exotico Harmani, <laughs> which was very good. And um, yeah, it, it's a different style of music. And it, when you travel, when you play blast music in a car, it gives you a nice travel vibe. It puts you in the mood for the Greek landscape and the culture and the warmth of the people. So. I'm heading to Portugal in two weeks, so I'm leaving in two weeks' time to go to Portugal. I'm going to go to Porto, to Lisbon. So I'm hoping at the end of the trip, 10 days, I will be familiar with Fado music, which is uh, really beautiful, soulful, the sorrows of the people, the troubles of the population. It's a very soulful type of singing, and there's cabarets all around, uh, Fado halls all around uh, Portugal. I'm going to Porto mainly, and I'm hoping at the end of it I'll come back with a different appreciation for the the people of uh, Porto and Lisbon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Musically I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> of, of life like yeah. what a crazy awesome life. It's a fun life. I like my life. <laughs> that is so much fun. I yeah. live vicariously through you. The biggest yeah. takeaway is be less lazy. <laughs> Stop being such a bitch, man. <laughs> Get off your oh, ass. Oh man. Learn some shit, motherfucker. <laughs> I, I like learning. I don't think it's um it's something that will ever leave me. And if you ask me if I sleep or if I rest, yeah, whenever I go to concerts, that's my time to chill and meditate. You ask me if I meditate, my meditation moments is when I'm at a concert. I take that two hours of the concert to just chill out. forget about everything else, enjoy the moment. And I think that's important for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's my meditation process. Going to attend artistic events and just enjoying the moment. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. much. <laughs> yes, sir. Let's do it, man. Yeah. Wow. Wishing everybody 